Girl Mode. This is episode 49. I'm one of your hosts, Willa Rowe. And I'm your other host, Robin B. And I'm startled. I know. I didn't really give you a warning. No, we, we were in mid-sentence on some other bullshit and you just started the podcast. I just need to keep you on your toes. Yeah, that's good. This is an initiative check. Yeah, ever since you mentioned it last week, I always I, I'm now in my head about being like, Robin's gonna say, and I'm your other host, and I don't do that. Sorry, yeah. I messed up your flow. No, it's fine. I think it's neat that we're about to talk about a game that neither of us has played and neither of us has talked about on this podcast before, which is Lies of P. Cause I think we need to talk about this first. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you seem so disoriented today, and that's I fine. Am. I just I wasn't I wasn't ready. I need a lot of runway before I can start having thoughts. I know. We were bullshitting a lot, and then I was just like, now we're going. Yes. Uh, but so. yeah, Liza P. Mm-hmm. Very important. Which I also want to say, every time I hear lies of P, I hear Liza P. It sounds like that every single time. It's not a good it's not a good Liza name. Liza P Minnelli. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we're all thinking. It's Liza with a P. Not... <laughs> Anyways, that's a good joke. It uh-huh. is. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Did we start so anyways. Over? No. Okay. No. So anyways, this is, um, there's going to be spoilers for Lies of P here, despite the fact that neither of us has played it. The, the way this came about is that I was listening to Triple Click and Kirk Hamilton of Triple Click mentioned that Lies of P has a wild twist at the end slash reveal. And he didn't say what it was, but I just had to know and I'm never going to play this game. So I looked it up and it is absurd. <laughs> and just, I immediately messaged you like, I'm sorry, do you know what happens in the post credit scene to Lies of P? And I just screenshotted the Wikipedia page for it and sent it to you. And I just want to talk about this a little bit because I'm obsessed with it. It is truly wild. So apparently what happens, um, get out now if you care about Lies of P lore. Yeah, skip forward a couple, you know, whatever. Yeah. No, this is the rest of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the end of Lies of P, there's you see there's a post credit scene and there's a guy and he's on a phone and he's like talking to his boss. He's like, all that Pinocchio stuff, we we did it. Anyways, I need to start searching for the next person, Dorothy. And then it cuts to the like main city in the game and you just see a girl walk walking like on a rooftop and she has red ruby slippers. <laughs> And then she stops and she clicks her heels three times and then just d- the screen goes to black, <laughs> implying that the next game will be about Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Which is, yes, truly inspired. I would I don't really want to play Lies of P. I would absolutely play a game where I get to be Dorothy and have like a broadsword. <laughs> what did you say it's going to be called? Oh, I was that it was going to be called Friends of D. Which is also great. Which uh, you did not, you did not give me enough uh, credit. I didn't give you enough credit, but it, it, yeah, it, but it's great. Wait, I'm going to read you the message I sent you. Just I, I referred to it as the really old books cinematic universe. Yeah, I'm just like taking characters that are now in the public domain and just like turning them into action heroes. I said this is going to be my dark universe. Yes. Uh, yeah, you sent me the Wikipedia article, and I wrote back, post credits scene in Friends of D. A man with a handlebar mustache work- working at a newspaper stand hands a paper to a customer. The third subject has awoken, he whispers. Cut to a child's bedroom. The camera tracks through the room to land on a toy box in the corner. The Velveteen Rabbit's eyes open. Cut to black. <laughs> Which, 
I mean, the way that they're going, like, you mm. know, that, that's not out of the realm of possibility. I equally think this is so stupid, but also the greatest thing that has ever happened in video games. Yes, yes, it's yes, it's exactly the right kind of stupid. I think if <laughs> there would be such a fun article in here, it would be like a card story, which are dead, but we would do a card yeah. story. The 10, the 10 things that Lies of P should do next. <laughs> we should revive card stories for this. I we think should. it's worth it. Yeah. My pitch is that we, we give Alice in Wonderland a second chance at being a video game. I think that's a great idea. I just don't know how you do like this kind of universe and not have Alice. Like, right. Come on. Very iconic. Winnie the Pooh. Who else? Winnie the Pooh. You could play as uh, the pig from Charlotte's Web. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you could just do a Fables game now. That's true. Well, Fables, maybe. Lies of P. Maybe. Who knows? Depending on how sued the creator of Fables gets. Yeah. I am. I've. I've been watching Once Upon a Time a lot lately, uh-huh. so I'm just trying to think of characters in there. <laughs> I mean, you could do any, like, princess story. Oh, they should do a Beauty and the Beast one, actually. That would be a good one. Yeah. They could make it like a, um, so she transforms into the beast. That would be, like, your mm-hmm. your like mechanic in the game. You have, like, your lantern, but it's actually just Lumiere. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, like, guiding you the whole time. Yeah. That would be great. I think this works. <laughs> Anyways, maybe we should talk about our actual topic for the episode. <laughs> I guess so. Do you want to introduce the topic? Because you, you and Zoe were the ones who came up with this. Yes. Earlier this week, I played a game with your girlfriend while you took a nap on the couch behind you. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, so this game came out... Uh, well, it came out last month, actually. It's called uh, We Were Here Expeditions, colon, The Friendship. And uh, the reason I played it is because I was writing uh, a rec for it for work because it's free on uh, like Steam and Epic Games, whatever, and Xbox until October 13th. So we wanted to like write a little article about it. So I played it with Zoe and just had had myself a real good old time. The So what we're, we're talking about today is the idea of multiplayer games generally i think along when we first made our doc of of topic ideas that we've never used i referred to this as the mortifying ordeal of being known in online games uh, mm-hmm. but we're going to talk about like you know multiplayer games all over uh and so we were playing this game uh, we were here expeditions which is if you've played any of the we were here series it's a spin-off of that basically uh very same basic premise you it's a two-player game you play uh, like remotely, it's not like a couch co-op thing. And for basically the entire game, the two players are separated and only able to communicate via walkie-talkie. And the point of the games is to, you know, you're in, most of them put you in some sort of like castle setting and you have to do these sort of like escape roomy puzzles to find the way out. Uh, and the kind of like unique twist on them is that you each kind of only have half the puzzle because you're you're separated in space. And so you're either finding clues that the other person can use to solve a puzzle or you need to do kind of things simultaneously to make things work. Uh, The friendship is a very condensed version of that. It takes like two hours to play. uh, And that's even with us repeating the puzzles multiple times because Zoe wanted to get a higher score than we got the first time. And by higher score than you got, you mean the lowest possible score. I mean the lowest possible score, which even repeating the puzzles, we ended up with three bronze stars. 
Yeah, it's like it's a quick little game. It's it's three puzzles essentially, but they're very hefty. Like they take a while to solve kind of puzzles. Yeah, I don't know. It's a fun like sort of it's an interesting take on co-op, I think. Like mm-hmm. when I think about kind of the best co-op games or the ones that I kind of miss the most, I think is the way to put it. They are games that are like made for couch co-op. Like I remember being in high school and like almost every day after school going over to my friend's house with like four or five other people and we would all just play like you know final fantasy crystal chronicles or the dark alliance games like just some kind of like beat em up or puzzle or whatever it is but just like having a bunch of gross teenage boys in a room playing video games and yelling at each other just a fun time and it's like that's the thing that i think is really hard to replicate online And so it's interesting to me when you have games like We Were Here that take the format of online and make it make the fact that you aren't in the same room actually like a part of the game and like make it more Mm -hmm. interesting for that. And yeah, so that just got me thinking a lot about about co-op games in general. So I'm I'm curious, actually, this is something I we haven't really ever talked about, like off the pod. Like, what's your your kind of general relationship to like to co-op games? Well, I love co-op games and I play a lot of them because, you know, I have Zoe, we live together and I'm constantly playing games for work. But also beyond that, it's like co-op games are just really fun to play with people. And so it's something we can do together. So we're always trying to find like interesting co-op games. And we were actually talking about this the other day after you two played, we were here and uh, we were thinking about like past games we've played that we really, really enjoy. And the game that I always come back to is Escape Academy, which is so good. It came out last year and it was like a game I was obsessed with because the whole premise of it is that it recreates the feeling of like being in an actual escape room. And it does it really, really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was the base game, which had, I want to say like six or something rooms Uh, And then they had three expansions that added like five more per expansion. This game is so good and it's so fun to play with a partner, um, like doing co-op. It's actually a game I want to play with you. And I think enough time has passed from me playing it originally that I could replay puzzles and not remember the solutions. Yeah, I think we did talk about this a tiny bit. Mm -hmm. Because when that game came out, we did both play it, but I dropped Mm -hmm. off after like an hour. And as I was playing, I was like, you know what? If I was playing in multiplayer, I bet I would love this. And then I like talked to you like the next day and you were like, so I played that game in multiplayer and I loved it. I remember saying even in my review, like technically you can play it single player, but like this is a game to play with with someone else. Like this is a game you play with co-op. It's just really fun. And it does the same thing We Were Here does, which is that it like there are puzzles that are all across the room and you know you have to separate from your teammate oftentimes or communicate information across spaces or be solving puzzles at different times that then lead to like puzzles that you have to solve together it's really clever i just really like that and it's the idea of like making it feel like actual teamwork which is super super enjoyable and then i mean the other ones that i think of for like this style of co-op kind of is um, it takes two and a way out. I think a way out is a better game actually than it takes two. Mm-hmm. I think it, it takes two is fine, but have you played a way out? No, I haven't played a way out or it mm-hmm. takes two because I am okay. lonely and don't have anyone to play with. <laughs> 
I know what happens at the way at the end of A Way Out, and I think it's really interesting. Yeah. So here's the thing: spoilers for A Way Out, if you care. The ending reveals that. So, like, the whole game is about you and your partner, your two convicts who escape prison, and they have to like go do a bunch of shit to like for reasons the game reveals at the end there's a big twist that one of the guys is actually a cop the whole time and this has been like part of a sting operation basically and the last like mission in a game changes it stops being like teamwork and 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 it gives both of you guys a gun and it just puts you in like a building and it's like now you guys have to kill each other and only one of you can live So I knew going into this game that one of us was a cop. Zoe had no idea. And I made it so that when we played, I was like, you pick who you want to be. And I'm not going to tell you, like, I'm just going to like pick whichever character seems cool to you. And she's like, "Okay, I'm going to pick this one. She picked the one who was not a cop. I was the cop. And I thought that was great because I knew. And so I played the whole game like I was a cop. (laughs) <laughs> what so does I was that an mean? asshole well oh, okay. so the whole thing that i did is i was like i uh, you get into situations where you're like you rob a store at one point and your partner's like i'm gonna kill the cashier or something or has the choice to and you can be like oh maybe we don't do that like we don't need it uh also detective pikachu is a cop i'm sorry i'm just saying it he's a cop he's a cop yeah. but anyway so i played it the whole time trying to be like an you know an annoying cop and then when it was revealed that I was a cop, I think Zoe was ready to break up with me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She was furious. And then I killed her. I would be. Oh, no. Yeah, and then I killed her because I won. Really embracing your inner cop. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then I had to go tell her wife that her husband was dead and then also say, like, to her son, like, hey, I basically killed your dad. By the way, I just ruined your whole life. I think it took like a week for Zoe to to like not hate me. Yeah, I can't believe you would do that to her. If you were to bring it up, like after we record, if you say to Zoe, like, hey, tell me about a way out, she's going to go off. <laughs> she's probably listening to this right now and like fuming. Yeah. Zoe, <laughs> you should record your thoughts and, and send them to me when you hear this. Yeah, I I think that's a really cool. I love that idea of it's like not a thing that I think I've ever seen in another game, but like a co-op game where in the end you have to like start working against each other. I think it would be infinitely more interesting if it continued being a puzzle game as opposed mm-hmm. to just having you shoot each other. But I think that's really fascinating. I also think I made it better because I knew I was a cop mm-hmm. and I kept it from Zoe. I yeah. think if the game actually used that as like a thing where it told the player who was a cop that they were a cop mm. and was like, hey, listen, you're a cop. Don't tell your partner. That's interesting. I think that would be interesting. I have had ideas before for like, I really I, I really do want to get back into writing like tabletop stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's an idea that I it, it's like extremely not fleshed out at all but i I like the idea of a co-op game where and i'm sure this exists um a co-op game where you also have kind of like secret objectives that like where you you are working together for some victory but everyone has a thing that they are doing that no one else knows about and if they can achieve that they kind of like fuck everybody else over and win i'm sure there's different variations of that that exist out there but i just love that idea of having 
kind of the rug pulled out from under you in that way where it's like you do have to work together but you're also like going for your own ends um i just think that's just a really interesting dynamic to explore there's you know there's a lot of games like social deception games have gotten really popular since because of like the popularity of among us those don't really appeal to me like at all it's just not my kind of thing but i do think if there was one that was more like that was just one part of a larger story it would be more interesting to me yeah just something i would really love to see more of the other puzzle game, like puzzle co-op game that I think of is obviously Portal. Yeah. Which is just really fun. Um, another game that like starts getting into a different category, I feel like, but I very much enjoy is Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Yes. Which I know we've both played and are both fans of. But I was thinking along the lines of like games that can also be fun for like groups because I find that the more complicated this game is, the more fun it is. So like having the one person being the one who's disarming the bomb and then like a group of people having the manual is incredibly fun. Yeah, that's Um, how I've played it as well, which is great. I remember during the pandemic, um, we played it with Zoe's family over Zoom, Mm. which was very fun, actually. Uh, just because it was like I, it's almost a game where the more complicated it is to have that communication, the more fun it is. Yes, that's what the way that I played it was um, a friend of mine had like the PSVR or some kind of VR thing. And so we played it where like the person who was defusing the bomb was like, you know, in the VR helmet. And then he had actually printed out the manual so that everyone else just like had random pages of the manual and was just, they're just like flipping through them and trying to like show each other pages. It it is like that thing where it is like the more chaotic it gets, the more fun mm-hmm. it gets. I just, I, yeah, I love that aspect to it. It's it's like the group co op experience is really fun. Yes, um, it's 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 a little different, but it's something that I it was I had a really good time with when we did play it for a little bit. Is you had us do Wildermyth co op, mm-hmm. which I found very very fun for that I would kind love of like to do more of that. <laughs> I know. I am. I know. Yeah, I know. You know. I talk about it all the time. It's yeah, it's great for that, though. Like everyone, I think what makes um, Wildermuth so great is that everyone gets to make some very impactful choices. Mm -hmm. Like it's a it's, you know, it's a fun like tactics RPG to play. But the really interesting parts are in the sort of like little narrative bits where you can make choices that like turn you into a werewolf or just like really change the course of the game. Mm -hmm. So there's no. Well, everyone isn't necessarily acting at once. Everyone gets to kind of like steer the story and like take the spotlight for a while, which I think is like also a quality of really good tabletop RPGs is like letting people just kind of run wild for a little bit and everybody impacting things. Um, that's a yeah, I, I wasn't even thinking about Wildermuth, but that's a really good call. That's a, an excellent co-op game. I'm curious if you've ever done this and because I haven't and maybe we should. Have mm-hmm. you ever played any of Larian's games in co-op? I never have. It seems interesting and also like very intimidating. I feel like we wouldn't get very far, but it sounds like a lot of fun. I feel like we should try it, but maybe we should try it with like Divinity Original Sin 2 rather than like Baldur's Gate. Which is like a little less because it's a little less narrative heavy or. I also feel like there's a bit more of a chaotic energy to the Divinity games. For sure. Yeah. I think something else that we should play together is I've mentioned this to you before, the Yog. What is this? The Yog is a 
a visual novel basically but it's played by a group uh it's like a game where this thing called the yog is coming that is like the end of the world and the way that you choose you like you played the days leading up to the yog and the choices Mm -hmm. you make kind of impact people being prepared for it to come and then the things that you've done kind of just dictate what happens when the yog arrives it's just a very fun it's kind of it's like the storytelling sections in wildermyth kind of um where it is just about like choosing what happens but it's it's something that's really fun Mm -hmm. in the way that it gives you power to kind of steer the story even if you are working and in different directions and kind of seeing how that plays out is really enjoyable there's one game that I actually think has a really fun t- little bit of co-op, and this is this is going to sound wild, um, is Dead Space 3. Huh. Have you ever played like uh, any of the Dead Space games? Yeah, I played a little of the first one. Okay, so Dead Space 3, famously not very good. Okay, that might be why I can't even remember that there was a Dead Space 3. Exactly. It's not the best for a lot of reasons, but one of the things that they introduced is they have a co-op mode. Hmm. And there's a fun twist on it that I actually really like because a lot of the story of Dead Space is about how these artifacts that Isaac is going after kind of like drive people insane, um, almost in a like, almost in like one of a Cthulhuesque way where it's like, you know, we cannot comprehend like this massive amount of knowledge about like the depths of the cosmos. So you go insane. And if you're playing co-op, both you and your partner, you can experience like delusions and like psychotic breaks in the narrative and they'll play through differently and it'll be like one of you is experiencing like a hallucination and it'll play cutscenes, and one of you will see a different version of the cutscene than the mm. other that's which very i think cool. is i think that it's like it's a really neat thing within a game that has a lot of problems but i love yeah. when they like they, how they use the idea of co-op to like show more of this like narrative that's going on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something that I f- I'm sure if I sought it out more, I could find mm-hmm. it. But I, I feel like I haven't just seen a lot of games that like change thing, make co-op work in a way that fundamentally changes the game. Like mm-hmm. it is generally just like now there are two people doing the same game. But I, I really like the idea of like playing with that. Like I can definitely like when you said when you were mentioning that kind of like, you know, sanity stuff, it kind of reminded me of uh, Eternal Darkness and the idea of using things like that, like how that could be implemented in co-op, like literally showing you different things as a way of, mm-hmm. you know, making it more difficult to cooperate. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I would love to see more stuff like that. Like in some ways, I feel like a lot of co-op games, they treat the second player in the way that they would treat kind of an AI companion, where you're just there to sort of like help each other achieve the goal. I really would love to see them play more with the fact that you are playing with another person who is like making choices and that that can be like messy and complicated. Yeah. Zoe mentioned this to you when you were playing We Were Here, um, but Zoe and I once played this game. It it was a demo for a game and we cannot for the life of us remember what it was, <laughs> but it had a similar mechanic to We Were Here, which is the walkie talkies. And the walkie talkies was like the central mechanic of this game because essentially how it worked was, and this was not local co-op, it was only like online. And the way it played was essentially the narrative was that there were two people inside a mansion, but the twist is that you were inside the mansion at different periods of time. So like one of you is in it 
at whatever day. And then the other person is in the same mansion like 30 years later. But you both have walkie talkies to communicate with each other. And it's a puzzle co-op game. So like you'll go through the mansion and you'll find rooms and there are puzzles. And you can only figure out the puzzles by communicating through the walkie talkies and like describing what you're seeing and stuff. And it's really it was really, really fun. Yeah, I really don't think I've that's not ringing any bells for me, but that sounds yeah. great. Huh? We should do some we should try to figure out what that we should try to figure this out. Surely it's in my like Steam library yeah. somewhere. If I played it through Steam. Yeah, that's but really yeah. interesting. I love games that do something interesting with co-op like that. Mm-hmm. Like the use of the walkie talkie as a central mechanic is is great. It's the same of, you know, keep talking. Nobody explodes to me where it's like yes. they ha- it's co-op, but it's like there's a specific twist to it that makes it interesting. Yeah. I mean, like Zoe and I had that moment when we were playing We Were Here is like realizing that they work like actual walkie talkies. And mm-hmm. if you are holding down the talk button, the other person can't talk like that's It's such a small thing, but it makes such a huge difference in the game, like both in terms of like how you solve puzzles, but also just the thematics, because we were talking on Discord before and we're like, oh, it'll be way more fun if we do it this like the real way. And we we can't talk, you know, can't talk over each other like we mm-hmm. always do. And it was just, yeah, it made it so much more interesting. Mm -hmm. There's another aspect of at least co-op for me, which is there are games that are not technically co-op games, but I find them very fun to play like with somebody on the couch. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you feel this way where it's just like games to be played with a friend. Yeah, my my major experience of this was like living with you know having a couple of friends who were Mm -hmm. roommates and just sitting down and playing like it tended to be like from soft games were really fun to just have people watch which i think i think i I kind of think of from soft like the souls like games in particular as like the the sort of er example of this because i think in a lot of games that are more narrative heavy like something like The Witcher 3, I've heard a lot of people say is like their their partner or the roommate or whatever enjoys watching them play. Mm-hmm. But I think for those, there's so much narrative that isn't necessarily like that interesting for an observer that it can get in the way. And with the Souls games, that's not there. It's just, you know, it's just the fun part of watching someone play a game, which is like watching them play the game. And I think they do like they have a really good way of modulating tension in Souls games where like every encounter you could die in like if you aren't paying attention or whatever normal ass enemies can absolutely lay you out so there's always the potential for something to like go really wrong and then they build to these really incredibly stressful boss fights which i think is really fun to watch someone do especially if they you have the kind of relationship where you can like laugh at them when they die and like you know kind of enjoy the the theater of them like failing and failing and failing again and like mm-hmm. getting really excited and like cheering for them when when things go well i feel like those are my that's my main experience of like just playing a game with somebody else on the couch or sitting on the couch and watching somebody else mm-hmm. to play i think they're like so perfectly suited for that i totally agree i think it's and it is that thing of of I think if you have people who all have like some familiarity with the Souls games, it's also like a fun game to just pass around the controller and be like, well, if you die, it's my turn. And then it's like because it's one of those things, like you're saying, where it's like you can get better at them, but like everybody has a chance of dying so quick. So it's Mm -hmm. like it just passes around. Um, The ones that I think of a lot are puzzle games like 
Return of the Obra Dinn or like Golden Idol because it feels like it's it's a fun puzzle for everybody to figure out and you like talk it out and be like, no, I think I think this person is this guy or whatever. Or like point and click adventures, like the Monkey Island games. The only other one is I had a great time making Zoe play all the Uncharted games. Uh-huh. Uh, just because How, I mean, did she so have a great silly. time? She did, actually. She okay. had fun. <laughs> we were locked in the house, so it was like we didn't have sure. anything else to do. Um, but it was a fun time. And I feel like those games are so silly, but also so pulpy in a way that they're just so fun to like hang out and watch. Totally. Um, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of like playing a single player game as a group or like with a partner or something. Yeah. That actually reminds me another, um, uh, another really good experience. It was actually, which just, again, also reminded of my roommate watching me, uh, walking in on me playing the final boss of Sekiro and just standing in, silence for like eight minutes as i mm -hmm. fought this thing and like that was the time i finally won so it was just like an incredible time but um i was reminded me of that because when you talked about the like someone watching you you know zoe watching you play uncharted uh way back in the day i had to review days gone which is okay a really a bad game, game. <laughs> um were you uh, a game that um people only didn't like because we're too woke and uh didn't appreciate the main character staring at his girlfriend's ass, according to its director, who's still bitching about it like years later. But it's like an extremely mediocre game. But I had a really fun time playing it for review because my roommate, who's a really good friend of mine, where like we were watching, you know, she watched me play it. And this is also the friend who I watch a lot of like B movies with. Mm -hmm. So we we're really in the habit of like, kind of like making jokes and at like what's going on on the screen and that is the perfect way to play that game because it was like so buggy and so just stupid that just kind of basking in the idiocy of it was was deeply enjoyable i mean that's why playing assassin's creed mirage was so fun because i just so much of that game i just streamed to you <laughs> Yeah, it was it was so fun watching you just like run around like you mentioned in your in your review, like running around the city and pressing RB to kill. It kind of reminds me of like another category of multiplayer game, mm -hmm. which like I categorize as kind of like the hangout game or it's kind of like the third space game where you just yeah. go there to it's like a thing to do while you're hanging out with a friend. The ones I categorize as those are kind of. You know, a lot of looter shooters like Destiny 2, I think, is a great example of this because you can just there are so many different activities that have different like set amount of times where you can just hang out with a friend. Mm -hmm. Be it like, oh, we need to do a 15 minute mission or an hour long mission or just yeah. vibe in the open world. There's like one of my friends we like once a year, we like decide to jump back into Destiny mm -hmm. 2 for like three weeks and just get really into it and then stop playing. And it yeah. is it's so good for that because it's like. You can just kind of do the loop over and over and just like catch up while you do it, which is really great. Or like uh, when we played Diablo 4 this year, I mean, Diablo and like Torchlight are, I think, the like best example of this kind of thing. I think obviously for us to an extent, Final Fantasy 14 is that. Yeah. For so many reasons, because there's so many different things to do in it. Yeah. I think the most fun that I ever had with Final Fantasy 14 was like there was a solid something that I actually want to get back into. But like there was a period like a very long period of, of like multiple months where I would play every night and mostly not 
even do anything, but just get mm-hmm. on because like I have a I had a very large and active FC. And so we would just jump on and like, you know, be doing dungeons or whatever, or maybe like grinding for mounts or something. But it would mostly just be us kind of like joking. And then after the activity was done, we would all end up just like at the FC house, just hang out for like more, like several more hours. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, it's a great thing. It makes me kind of understand why people like games like Fortnite that seem to serve that same function. Like if, if that was a style of game that I enjoyed, I could see playing it because that's like from what I like here, obviously I don't, I don't play that, play it, but it seems to be that people use that as that same kind of thing where it's just like, this is where all of my friends are. So I'm just going to be there also. And it just so happens that we're also like playing this game together. This is why I think we should do you and I a Final Fantasy 14 sightseeing trip yeah just you and i together go through the game and do our sightseeing logs yeah i think it'll be fun yeah yeah i think mmos are in in a lot of ways kind of the ultimate hangout games of this style because you can be doing like different things or the same thing or just nothing and just sitting in voice chat and like just yeah it's it's really nice because like even if you're just sitting inside of like your fc house with your other you know friends you can at least just sit there and appreciate everybody's characters and be like, ooh, look at your glamour. Everybody's yeah. just spamming emotes and like swapping out <laughs> outfits to show each other. Yeah. Like it's, it's, yeah, I've done a lot of that, like just fashion shows. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very good. So the, I, I mean, I guess we've been talking about co-op games specifically. Mostly, yeah. But I feel like the, the bigger category even of multiplayer games is competitive multiplayer, which yeah. The reason I think we have de-emphasized is that it's not really something we're that into. Mm -hmm. I feel like you probably have more experience with this than me. Probably because like as strange as it is, I've spent so many, so, so many hours with like a lot of competitive shooters and stuff. As as we know, I am a diehard Overwatch fan. (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) Of course. The one thing everyone knows about you. Yeah, but like legitimately, I've played so much Overwatch. So I have a lot of time playing multiplayer games in there or I dip my toes in Valorant every once in a while and play for like a week or Apex Legends and stuff like that. I it's so interesting because it's one of those things where it's like they are the least enjoyable for like. Playing with other people because they're very solitary for me because like I don't really mm-hmm. have a lot of friends who play these games. So I'm not playing to be with other people. I'm playing it just to play the game. It just happens that I have to play multiplayer. Yeah. And I refuse to engage because like it's <laughs> gamers are still toxic as hell. <laughs> yeah, they really are. It's it's unbelievable. The, like, pl- like go play Valorant. People are just assholes for no reason. You're just like, why? Shut the fuck yeah. up. <laughs> I played Apex a little, like I mentioned when um, Catalyst came out, just to play mm-hmm. as Catalyst. And in the like two hours that I spent playing that game, I heard more slurs than I have in the past like yeah. years. You know, it's 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 wild. Um, we actually we've had like many conversations about mm-hmm. how much we loved early Overwatch. Um, that was the one for me too. Like that was the the only time I've ever like basically every day been like I'm going to play a competitive game it has been overwatch because Mm -hmm. you know back in the day it was fantastic it was fantastic especially for people who don't typically play those games and don't typically like the kind of atmosphere of them because it it did a lot to nurture a very different feeling 
Yeah, I don't know. I was very into it. Like it's it's something that I really enjoyed. I'm kind of with you in that the big thing I think that keeps me from doing it is that it's just not a thing that I have a group of people to play with. If I did, I'm sure I would enjoy it more. But I think also I'm just I'm just not a competitive person. Like it doesn't really it just doesn't really do it for me. Like when I win a match, it's like there are times because like we like, as we talked about, we both tend to be like support players. And there's definitely times when you can like pull off a really cool, you know, some kind of maneuver that like keeps your team alive and like gets them to come back from losing or like, you know, defy the odds or whatever. And that feels really good to be able to like have helped the team in that way. But for the most part, just the like the back and forth, the like dominating the other team part is is not really what does it for me. And so I can get that thrill of helping the group through co-op kind of more than I can through competitive games. Mm -hmm. And so even in the best circumstances, I think it's like not going to be my favorite thing to do. I think the only other like type of competitive game that I enjoy and I've put more like also time into is fighting games, which Mm -hmm. we've talked about a bit, how I, I don't think I'm an expert on fighting games. I have never been able to like really master one, but I play a lot of them. I typically play like almost every fighting game that comes out because I just think they're neat. But it's one of those things where it's like it's competitive and I'm playing against people, but I don't have to like be on a toxic team Mm -hmm. because it's just me versus the other person. And obviously it's varied, but it's like I haven't experienced as much shit as I have in other games that are like shooters and stuff. And I very much enjoy like fighting game matches because it also feels very it feels more like strategic and fun to be like oh i need to like learn how the opponent plays and just a one-on-one kind of like battle yeah kind of why i like armored core multiplayer yes Uh, yeah yeah gosh i can't believe i forgot about that like the Mm -hmm. the little bit that i've played of armored core that is like the i guess competitive multiplayer Mm -hmm. game that i have enjoyed the most lately um i have there is something about it into multiplayer actually and i do really like it (sighs) i really want to i haven't been on in a couple of weeks but it's like God, when when I did play it, it was I think like the short matches Mm -hmm. combined with like the variability, like you can change your loadout between each match. So things always feel a little bit different. It makes me understand that I think part of the thrill that people get from competitive games, because it really is like it feels really intense when Mm -hmm. you're kind of like on the cusp of winning or losing. And, you know, you know, like the next couple of seconds are going to determine it. Like it's yeah, it's, it's really, really exciting and just really well made. I haven't tried the three, uh, three V three battles, but I, I kind of want to. Yeah, totally. How far into armored core did you end up getting? I finished chapter three and I was like early chapter four. That's about where I am. So you have fought like the ice worm yeah i beat the ice worm okay so yeah like coming up to that there are a couple battles where there's like there's one where it's you versus two mechs that's Mm -hmm. like really wild and then there's one where it's you and a partner versus two other mechs and that's even that is so much fun it makes me really wonder what like playing with two other people on a team would be like it seems yeah like it's it's gonna it'll be a really good time yeah uh, you'd think I'd be better at transitioning by now. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's mostly our, our we did it. We did our topic. Oh, I don't know. It, it feels weird because I felt like it was it was in a way so concise and smoother than we ever are. Yeah, I think that's what's throwing me off base. Like <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to move into the end of the podcast, but we haven't like 
cut each other off and gone on a million tangents yet. So it so doesn't anyways, really feel like uh, we've I, actually Robin, recorded talking, at all. I actually want to say something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, now that I cut good. you off and was really annoying. Right. Uh, yeah, now it feels what real. You, what have you been up to this week? Which I have been desperately waiting to find out. Yeah. Because I hate... I, this is really something that is bothering me. Is like, we are two... We're friends, and I don't like that now, because... Uh-huh. We'll be talking because we talk a lot. And it was, I think, on Wednesday you said this. You were like, I'm playing a game and it's really good. And I was like, oh, cool. What game? And then you're just like, save it for the pod. Uh And I was like, cool. I guess I just won't get to find out something for days even though we're friends and I'm going to be talking to you every day. It is. Yeah. It's frustrating when you want to hear about it. And it's also frustrating when you want to talk about a thing. Mm -hmm. But it's also very funny to make you have to wait for it. So I think it kind of balances out. Yeah. So please, please tell me. So the game I've been playing is one that I've mentioned before being excited for. Uh, It's a game that is now on Game Pass and it is called Cocoon. Okay. Got it. So Cocoon, I think, first caught my eye like at one of these showcases last year. And the thing that they showed off was it's a, you know, kind of like isometric view uh, puzzle game where the, the thing that they showed was your little character who is this little kind of like mechanical looking bug person is walking around the world solving his various puzzles and then they get to a point where there's like you know like an obstacle they can't pass or whatever so in order to solve that puzzle they get to this you know particular part in the game where there's like a little device and when they activate it they basically jump out of the world that they are in And they are now in a new environment and the world that they were just in is now this like represented as this little like orb that you can pick up and like manipulate and that helps you solve puzzles. And so I saw that that's basically all they showed off of it. And I was like, okay, seems interesting. And then I guess it was at Gamescom or something. People were playing it and had really good positive impressions of it. So, you know, kind of stayed in my, my, my mind a little bit. And then, uh, over this weekend I had, I, I, you know, or over this week, I guess I like ended up just having some time. I didn't have any freelance work to to do for the first time in like months. And so I was just like, oh, I can just like decide what to do. And I was like, all right, I'm going to sit down and play some cocoon. And almost immediately, I was like, this is one of the most like special games I think I have ever played. Like a, the way that it made me feel was like, I, I I don't know if I've played a game that has given me this this exact feeling before. To 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 go back and give sort of more of the overview of it, you're playing as this little you know this little like bug creature, and um, it is a puzzle game with very simple mechanics that combine in really really fascinating ways. One thing I really love: there is zero text in this game. There's never a moment where it's like you're having you're talking to some other character and it's telling you what's going on. There's not a thing that pops up that's like, welcome to this zone. There's not even a pop up that you usually get where it's like, press A to whatever. It's just it's all just you figuring things out on your own. And literally, like the verbs you have are you can press the switch and you can pick up and put down these little orbs. And that is basically it for almost the entire game. But the way that it combines those things is really fascinating. So you play within the first like five minutes or something you get to the point where you jump out of that first world and now you are in the sort of another like another layer of of whatever of the world on top of that and you can take this orb and start using it to like 
put it in certain devices that will power a door or a switch or whatever. I think I'm going to save some some of this discussion for later, like toward the end of the year, because I think what makes this game feel great is the joy of discovering like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Or like the surprise of like it introduces kind of a new thing that's going on in the game that you wouldn't expect. And I really as much as I am dying to talk about it, I really don't want to spoil that for anyone who plays it. Some things that I can talk about without like doing that are uh, the music in this game is so fucking good. Like the game sounds so good. I really recommend playing it with like headphones if you can. One interesting thing that I I didn't really know about the the music for this game, but Maddie Myers mentioned it on the most recent episode of Triple Click is that the the composer of Cocoon evidently built like a their own synthesizer to make the music for this game. Um which I think is just I don't know, really interesting and it, it does have a very unique kind of soundscape like it does it doesn't really sound like anything else i think the closest i could come to is it like it reminds me of some parts of like the synthier parts of jim guthrie's scores for sword and sorcery and below but it's really it's really very different from those even like the sound design in general just like the sound of the environment is really everything feels very tactile everything feels very real it also does something that i really love with the music where a lot of the times the music is like very low and ambient and like sometimes there's just like no music at all. But it does a really fantastic job of like the music cues specifically where I think the way that like we think of cues being used in games a lot is like if you open a treasure chest in Zelda, it gives you the like, da you know, it like gives you this little thing as like a reward or like the you beat uh, you finish a fight in Final Fantasy seven and it gives you a little victory fanfare. This uses it a little bit differently where it's not giving it's not like the reward for doing the thing, but it is telling you you are on the right path. So there are times when if you are like holding the object you need and you go through like a certain door, it'll play this little music cue that isn't like it's not like um, you did it and like it's a celebratory fanfare, but it makes it feel like the sort of pace is ramping up. It's like it is like building to a crescendo because you are building toward the solution to a puzzle. So if you keep that going, you will end up like getting the music to continually keep guiding you through puzzle after puzzle. And it's like, it's subtle enough that it doesn't feel like it's, you can just use that to kind of guide yourself. But when thing, when you're flowing really well, the sound really, really builds on it in, in a really special way. And there is a point um, that I keep thinking of, like also pretty early in the game where you are, you're solving like a, a puzzle that, uh, you know, is pretty difficult and it's, it keeps building and building and you get to the point and you, get to the end point of this puzzle and there's this like swelling music and then at the end of this puzzle is when you you jump back into that like secondary world and the music immediately cuts out and all you can hear is the sound of rain and it just feels like i don't know i feel like video games often suffer so much with pacing because you can fuck around so much and so seeing a game that like hits those cues so hard and like is well paced in that way like it's just it does a really phenomenal job about that. It's like, it's one of many, many, many things in this game that just feel like it was designed so carefully, like so much thought had to go into making this work. Another thing of that type of thing is 
I found it like the puzzles are very challenging, but I found it actually pretty hard to like get lost because it does a very good job of sort of confining you in one space and making sure that like everything you need to solve it, the, the puzzle is like close by. So you're never like, oh, do I need to go back, back to this other level to get a key? Or am I supposed to have flipped a switch over here? Like it will lock you in. And at a lot of points, once you are finished in one like particular area, you will like, as you leave, it will cut off access to that part entirely. So whether it's like an elevator that is now shut or like, you know, something. So you, you know that you, you never have to like, figure out where you're supposed to be you're just focused on the puzzles um yeah i don't know i really can't say enough good things about this game it's 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 world feels really real it's 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 just it's so pretty it sounds so great the puzzles are just like i'm not a huge puzzle game person i often get frustrated i'm just like just kind of get over them but in this one like it was so much fun to like the thing it makes you do is really internalize the logic of the world. And when you're able to like do that out and figure out a new thing you can do with what you already know, it just feels phenomenal. Yeah. Okay. I, that's I'll save more for when I can like really, really talk your ear off about it. But for now, I'll just say I, I highly recommend playing this game. Like it's very much in contention for my favorite game of this year. Finally, we finally got some good we games. Finally got one. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. Uh, how about you, Willa? What have you been up to this week? This week, I've mostly been I've I've been playing a couple games that I cannot talk about yet. Mm. But besides that, I have been watching some really great video essays. Some from like the past week, and then another one from a couple weeks ago. But they were all just really really great and talked about some really cool things um, related to games. And I just wanted to shout them out. So I picked three that I wanted to recommend for people. Um, the first one is from a YouTuber named E. It's called a deep dive. E. <laughs> it's called a deep dive into the queer coding of Genshin Impact, which I, this is such a topic that like I'm already obsessed with. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a really like kind of extensive view of it and like dive into like what it actually means. And it kind of goes through the basics of being like, here's what queer coding is. Does it apply to Genshin? Um, specifically, they go through three main pairings, which are Kave and Alhaitham, uh, Beidou and Ningguan, and John and Lisa, and kind of talks about like why are these why are these ships so popular? Is it based in queer coding or is it just fans being crazy? Um, there's a really interesting point also where they uh, where they point out like. With Honkai Impact 3rd, um, which is the game Hoyoverse made before Genshin, there's a lot of canonical queer couples in there. Um, so what does it mean having queer coded couples hmm. versus like the canonical ones? And why is it more queer coded than than actually canon? It's a really fascinating video. It's like 40 minutes long. I highly suggest people watch it. If they have like any passing interest in Genshin, um, especially for like someone like me who doesn't really love playing Genshin, but is obsessed with the ships and like the lore. It was such a great video to watch. Um, so I highly recommend it. The The next one is from Renata Price. She made a video essay called Why We Can't Stop Mapping Elden Ring. 
or at least that's what the video is called like on YouTube. The official title of it is On Exactitude in Elden Ring. It's only like half an hour, but it's this really interesting meditation on Elden Ring's map and it's how it's so empty and how intentionally or not that feeds the current media landscape of games journalism, which relies so much on guides and the idea that part of the popular traffic for Elden Ring is media making maps of Elden Ring that are more complicated and detailed and going into like, what do you lose by trying to make a map of Elden Ring? What do maps represent? And also, what does it say about the current landscape of games media um, that like we're so reliant on this? For like people who have been like following Renata, like Renata is one of my favorite journalists. She's someone I very much admire. You'll know she's like been working for in the industry for like four years. And she talks about this at the end of the video. So I won't go into too much of it. But she talks about how this video is kind of her way of reckoning with like the state of games journalism and how it kind of kicked her out a little bit at the end because of how the corporate like style that games media does is right now. I I highly suggest it. I I think it has some things that are not fully thought out, um, but I just I really like it in a lot of mm. ways. I, I do suggest people watch it, especially like if like me, you've like constantly read Renata's work. I think it's definitely worth checking out. I she, like she says she said on her Twitter like this is her first video essay. They will they will get better from here. <laughs> um, but I highly recommend it. Uh, the last video is one from Jacob Geller. It's called "How Can We Bear to Throw Anything Away." It talks about a lot of stuff, and it starts loosely talking about the idea of games preservation, but it goes into something like much more esoteric and complicated and it goes into weird places. It mentions he talks about like his family's relationship with the Holocaust and then immediately goes to talk about Katamari Damashi. Th there's a lot of great stuff in here. Like if you watched mm -hmm. a Jacob Geller video, you know how they are and you know how good they can be. I highly suggest watching it. It's really, really great. I also think it's really funny. Both Jacob Geller's video and Renata Price's video came out in the span of one week, but they both heavily reference the same Borges essay, which is on exactitude in science. Just funny coincidence. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a big fan of video essays, and uh, you should be happy I'm not recommending you a six-hour one. So <laughs> check these out. That's a I, threat. Yeah, that is a threat. I could if I wanted, but I'm, I'm only recommending, recommending these ones. But yeah, check them out. And I think that will do it for this episode of Girl Mode. Until next time, you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on social media, which we will link in the show description at some variation of Girl Mode Pod. And you can find me uh, on those social media sites at Robin Bombas. And I'm on socials at The Willow Row. You can send us questions uh, or comments, concerns, or life advice at... <laughs> Our email, which is girlmodepod at gmail.com or on co-host. Who should, who should people tell to listen to the podcast? Uh, you should set up an elaborate escape room scenario <laughs> that plays the podcast for your, your puzzle-solving partner at the end. That's like a torture 
thing it for is. a saw it's trap. It's like saw, we're, we're jigsaw now. We're pivoting yeah. to jigsaw. Yeah. Well, that'll be it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. I really like a way out for similar things. It's like, it's not as complicated puzzle wise, obviously, because it's more of, it's more of like an action adventure game, but there are, what? Stop clinking the ice in your glass while you talk. I'm sorry. I'm just I holding can't, it in my hand. I can't edit that out when you're the one talking. <laughs> I like coffee, okay? No, like it's, you should. Coffee. You should. I don't want to get between you and your coffee. It just... I'm so sorry. For God's sake, woman. Don't give me more <laughs> work to do. Anyways, a way out is good. Um <laughs>